Hey, welcome to this week's Taiwan Talk. I'm your host, Alex Lewis. This week, we talked to Kitch Liao, a cybersecurity expert here in Taiwan, uh, about cybersecurity here in Taiwan. Uh, we talk about the threats facing Taiwan, uh, what people can do to protect themselves from cybersecurity incursions, and uh, and much more, you know, the state of cybersecurity globally. And it was an interesting conversation for me because I don't know much about the subject. I feel like I learned a lot. And uh, that's what you're looking for from these conversations. Please enjoy listening to the interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. And uh, here we go. So, Kitch, welcome to the show, Taiwan Talk. Could you give me, uh, I guess, your background in cybersecurity, and then can you tell me what cybersecurity is? Well, my background was actually mostly in policy. That's actually what my job was. I wrote a few, you know, primers and also like attribution problems with regard to cybersecurity. And now I'm actually working for one of the cybersecurity companies as an analyst. Of course, more on the policy side, but you know, with certain technical backgrounds. What is cybersecurity? Like, what, um, like, what does that entail? Yeah, so you know the the widest possible definition will be like you know information integrity and confidentiality of all computer assets, which means basically you know everything that has computer in it from um, Taiwan's power plants, uh, dams, military secrets to your laptop, cell phone, your cleaning bots, hell, even your electric scooters, your Roomba, yeah, yeah. everything. So anything that's kind of connected to the internet, not just the internet, anything mm. that's you know that has an operating system in it. Because, you know, um, if you could plug a USB in it, they could be infected. Interesting. Okay. Um, so governments, let's talk about Taiwan. So governments have been spending uh, more and more on uh, cybersecurity and being uh, up their cybersecurity space. Uh, how does Taiwan and its government and private firms here approach cybersecurity and how do they compare to governments uh, around the world? Well, you know, um, Taiwan has a three-tier system, I guess, you know, if you want to put it that way. Um, you got the high – on the highest level, you got the National Security Council, which, you know, is an advisory body to the president. Uh, they have a so-called uh, information and communication security section with a cybersecurity office as a staff agency. So about 20 people. Um, they focus on policy. And then on the executive branch, you got the uh, – NICST, the National Information and Communication Security Task Force, headed up by the uh, Vice Premier. And their you know, staff agency will be the Department of Cybersecurity. This is the one that people heard a lot on TV, on news. Mm. And their primary concern is justify you know, the existence, justify why they need budget, and you know, talk to the legislative yuan how they get budget. They, they are principally in charge of logistics, mostly. Okay, and then we get down to the operational units. You know, um, basically, who's actually dealing with like all the intrusions and stuff. Um, we got the Homeland Security Office. They're in, they're mostly in charge of you know um, critical infrastructure, like you know uh, the security of our power plants, our dams, which means like you know the things that if shut down would cause great harm to the country. Mm-hmm. And then we got the uh, National Center for Cybersecurity and Technology (NCCST). Um, Basically, they are they act as a contractor. They are not actually like they're a private contractor, but you know they're maintaining the government's security operation uh, centers, the government's information sharing centers. They have about two hundred people. They do training, exercise, penetration tests, whatever required. Mm-hmm. And then you know on the um, tactical level, we have uh, the TW CERT and the TW CERT CSIRT, which you know they are in charge of exchanging all the uh, all the latest like you know uh, virus code, all the latest like indicators of compromise, um, to keep up keep everybody up to date. And occasionally, you know, they send out incident response teams to important you know 
places. So, uh, so let's talk about policy. What is Taiwan's policy uh, in regards to cybersecurity? Well, you know, if we actually follow the official policy guidelines, their policy is that cybersecurity is national security. So they are perceiving this at the highest possible level. But um, just like, you know, just like most of the other uh, policies implemented in the uh, national defense realm, they are also concerned about the industry. Um, so basically, you know, um, the government's working toward like a collaboration between private firms and government agencies in order to not just enforce, not just reinforce, you know, our cybersecurity, but also to develop our cybersecurity industries mm-hmm. into a competitive standards. Right. Um, yeah. So how is the cybersecurity scene here um, or the government? reacted to the news of hackers influencing the U.S. election, hacking the German parliament, uh, the WannaCry virus, all those things. Like, how are they, I guess, interpreting this news? So the thing is, like, it's not a surprise. Like, everybody knows this eventually would happen. Basically, you know, uh, what they're more concerned about is what kind of lessons you can learn from this. Because... Cybersecurity, especially in terms of government and uh, major like corporations, um, they are more concerned about what is called a advanced persistent threat. That means there is an actor behind it, which has you know a significant amount of resources and people they could devote on a single target over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, you know, U.S. election, German parliament, wanna cry virus. The first two could be classified as politically motivated. There is a country, or you know, certain um, even mercenary units behind it. And the wanna cry virus, it's financially motivated. But the thing is, like, you can never be really sure because one of the you know trends these days is that it becomes harder and harder to actually differentiate between um, espionage actors and. Uh, financial crime actors. I see. It's kind of evolved into like a proxy type of situation. Yes. Okay. Um, so what's Taiwan's main cybersecurity threat or like there, what's that, the AP? The uh, advanced persistent threat. Yeah. And of course, you know, um, the first one that's facing our government is like most of the security challenges facing uh, Taiwan, China, mm-hmm. because you cannot get away from it. And they've been uh, extremely active in terms of, you know, um, intrusion attempts against our government, against our think tanks, against our civilian infrastructures. But some of the problems encountered when trying to get this out, visibility-wise, the reason people don't hear much about Taiwan is because, well, China would have units targeting Taiwan specifically. And their operating scope, their targeting scope would be extremely limited. And not a lot of other countries pay attention to it because their target is only Taiwan. Right. They're only affecting Taiwan, uh, not other countries. Or they're specifically targeting Taiwan, not other countries. That's why other countries don't hear about about yeah. this. Oh, yeah. A lot of the uh, PLA units, the uh, People's Liberation Army units, um, have you know target, been targeting Taiwan exclusively with some other countries, but okay. less. Okay, and what are we talking about here? Like, what what is Taiwan dealing with in terms of um, the cybersecurity threat from China? It's all encompassing, actually, because um, Taiwan cybersecurity is well. You know, our attention towards cybersecurity is a very recent development, and before that, our cybersecurity our cybersecurity policy, I'm sad to say, was less than competent. That means there's a lot of ways to get all sorts of information from Taiwan. And of course, you know, um, reunification with Taiwan is a major goal of the Chinese Communist Party. So they've been collecting all sorts of information and, you know, chronologically, as well as, you know, tactically, as well as any sensitive information they could get. One 
good example would be like their activity uh, during the sunflower movement. There was a clear spike in their activity um, during the periods. Mm-hmm. What, what type of activity? Oh, like, you know, um, the most easy to understand would be their um, spearfishing attempts. Mm-hmm. They would try to compromise certain groups' computers, get in, and, you know, steal their documents, and to use that as further spearfishing, you know, decoys. Because, you know, if you got an email coming from a person you trust with an internal documents, you'll be less suspicious mm-hmm. and, you know, let the uh, back door in. I see. Okay. Um, yeah, so speaking of uh, letting China come into the back door, uh, life is becoming like more and more like online and virtual, right? And I guess people are just more susceptible to things like this or, you know, they're just more – um, more ways to impact a person's life through cybersecurity. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. What are some steps that uh, I guess the private citizen could take to ensure that they're protected uh, from being compromised? Well, the first thing I think most people need to understand, because this happens everywhere, including when I talk to my parents, their first response is, yeah, I'm not important enough. Nobody's going to try to steal my secrets. So, That's you know. exactly what I say to myself. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah, man. But the problem here is that, first of all, you know, because of Bitcoin, because of cryptocurrency, um, everybody's a target. Mm. The targeting could be indiscriminate. You know, cybercrime is actually far worse, like, in terms of scale than cyber espionage. The reason a lot of companies focus on cyber espionage is because, well, it's exciting. It's easier to track. But cybercrime is prevalent. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it could impact you in ways you could not even, you know, begin to think. It could actually, like, you know, for example, if your computer's been compromised, being used as an attack platform to attack others, or, you know, if you have personal information on your friends, on your family, relatives, or even people you go to school with, mm-hmm. you could be helping the enemy. You could be helping, you know, others to to, like, basically, you know, uh, compromise your friends, compromise sensitive national data. Mm. That's all possible. So the first thing we could do is to maintain what we call uh, cyber hygiene. Mm. Basically, you know, the easiest manifestation of that would be do not ever bring your work home. Do not do anything that you would do at work on your home computer or on your laptop. Mm. Because the thing is, like, you know, usually for a company or a government agency, they have a dedicated person for cybersecurity. They have the internal network. They would have firewalls upon firewalls. They would have, you know, air-gapped systems. It's way more secure than what you could actually – what you could ever hope to achieve in your house. Mm. So don't bring your work home. And then, you know, if you actually care about your personal information, um, one of the things because everybody uses Gmail is to turn on your two-step verification. This may seem like, you know, really basic, but the thing is, like, Google just released their stats, like, you know, last year. And um, very little people actually turn on uh, two-step verification. If I'm correct, I think it's less than 10%. Whoa, that's super low. Why why do you think that is? Is it because people just, like like you just said, that they don't think they're important enough to... I guess, warrant this type of uh, security uh, measures or protectionary measures? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you never think it's a problem until it's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's only numbers, digits, and computers. But we got to remember, like, it's totally different now. Mm-hmm. You know, like just last month, mm-hmm. um, the crypto exchange, you know, um, company in South Korea just went out of business because of that, because they got hacked. They lost 12% of company asset in one day and 25% the next. So that, well, I guess we're closing down business. Yeah. Yeah, you could lose everything you have over, you know, just overnight. Yeah. And the other thing is passwords. Um, 
definitely change your passwords um, on a regular basis. What's regular? Regular. Um, basically, it depends. It could be like what my, my personal situation would be, you know, two months. Because the thing is like it's not just you. Even if you can, you can make sure like your computer is secure, you've updated all the vulnerabilities, Windows update and everything, and you have uh, antiviruses, it might not be you. Mm. It might be the person who's storing the, your information or storing your passwords. So change your passwords regularly and use a password manager. Right now, you want to use random password. You don't want anything that's related that could be easily guessed. Right. Like and, you yeah. don't want to do like your birthday or something. Yeah. Right. No, never. And mm. not even anything that makes sense. So a lot of people like to replace their password with like numbers, with signs. Well, Anything. that doesn't work. That doesn't yeah. work. It's still as easy, you know, wow. to break. So mm-hmm. the thing is, like, get a password manager, use random numbers, because you could never hope to remember the actual random numbers, especially if it's, like, 12 characters or 24 characters. Right. Password manager is, like, a software, so you could use that, and you could access all your password, you know, uh, with a master password key. Mm-hmm. Or get a physical one that, you know, you carry with you, just like a right. key. Like so. pen and paper or something and put it down. Oh, yeah. That would definitely work. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the next one will be the PGP encryption. Um, PGP is kind PGP? of... PGP? Oh, yeah. What PGP does that stand encryption. for? It's actually, like, it's kind of an in-joke because they call, like, it's called uh, pretty good, uh, pretty good encryption to begin with, <laughs> uh, yeah. pretty good protection. So. Yeah. It's uh, this is what we call you know an asymmetric encryption. That means there are two keys. You got one. That's your private key, and you should never let anybody know about it. That means you know um, put it on your computer, or better yet, put it on an isolated device. Your private key, and then you know uh, you have a public key that you give to everybody. So when people want to send you um, private information, they could use the public key to encrypt you know, the email, the information they want to send you. And nobody else, including the person who sent it, would be able to decrypt the message. Mm-hmm. Only you with your private key will be able to do that. I see. A lot of uh, NGOs are actually encouraged to do that. Right. Because, you know, the threat they face was no less than the government. Right. And But what kind of stuff that, uh, what kind of documents should you encrypt? Because I feel like the only thing that comes to my mind that I would need to protect would be, you know, anything that has uh, like my social security number, or my uh, the passwords, or you know, just anything that's like sensitive information. But is there anything else that's kind of like outside that realm that I should be protecting as well? Ultimately, it's about security. So you know, we could come back to the traditional realm of security and think about you know uh, what would be useful to a person who's dedicated to get you to mm-hmm. use you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we think about that, then anything. We could take lessons from open source intelligence. Basically, if I know your birthday, if I know where you are, where you work, or even where you go to school, who you are associated with, which is actually extra easy to find these days. Yeah, on Facebook or something, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, of course, all the sensitive information, bank accounts, birthdays, personal information, where these, you know, and what you're doing right now, basically, you know, um, because time is a factor too. So, Try to inc- try to encrypt those, but the thing about security is like, of course, under the ideal condition, I would tell you basically encrypt everything. But security mm-hmm. is a hindrance; it's mm-hmm. uh, it's an insurance policy. So, basically, you know, you you got to make some judgment calls there, and um, yeah. So that's that's basically you know we could give you like an outline, personal information, um, sensitive information. That's it. 
Okay, so is it even uh, safe to use Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all those uh, social media platforms? Um, would you advise people not to use that, or do these big companies have a good uh, firewall or uh, security measures in place? Um, if you're talking about like you know uh, the personal information you've registered with these companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they are reasonably secure. At least they will be way more secure than anything you store on your own computer. And yes, you know, you hear stories about their compromise all the time. But the thing is, compromises happens every day. Hundreds, thousands. We just don't know about it. Yeah, all over the government, different government agencies, you know, they just never talk to you about it. Mm. So there's a good chance that your personal information has already been compromised without you even knowing about it. So, you know, what we should care about uh, in terms of social media is more about um, do you want people to actually know what you're doing over the course of time? Would they? Do you want them to essentially cyber-stalk you? Is mm. that possible through your personal posts? Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of uh, professionals work in the security industry. They do have social media presence. They just never talk about their job, and there's no way to link themselves uh, from their social media account to their professional ones. I see. Okay. Uh, so what are some of the big developments or movements happening in cybersecurity now, either Taiwan or globally? Well, globally speaking, you know, um, what we see right now is basically, you know, it's getting more and more sophisticated uh, in terms of, like, the attacks, especially for cyber espionage. Um, used to be, like, you could, for example, you know, for an- analysts, used to be you could analyze two, three samples in a day. Now, because of all the elaborate processes, especially all the um, anti-analysis measures that the actors would go through, if an, if an analyst could actually go through one sample a day, that's, you know, that's an achievement. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the other thing is about um, the proliferation of military-grade, like, malware. Right. Because once it's out there, you could use it. And, of course, the top sensitive agencies, they would keep all their computers up to date. They would keep all the vulnerabilities plugged. Didn't but, something happen with the CIA where they had uh, their cybersecurity, like, tools hacked or, like, given out or something? Like, oh, that yeah, was, like, like two, one or two years ago? Yeah, that was actually like one of the big things, you know, um, the Snowden League actually provided us with, which I'm not really sure why people focus on other things, because this is really, really scary. Uh, could you explain that, the Snowden League? Oh, yeah. So one of the one of the main things that we learned from the Snowden League is that the NSA have a combination of tools. Uh, one of them is called the uh, Eternal Blue Sky. And the other is called the uh, double pulsar. And uh, basically, they work in tandem to keep your computer, um, to access your computer and store data from it. And the scary thing is, like, it works on Windows computers all over the world. And it doesn't matter how up-to-date your computer is or what kind of software you have because they're exploiting an inherent vulnerability with the Windows system. And so, you know, it is. it was estimated, like, basically NSA have access to all the world's Windows computer for about 10 years. Oh, man. Uh, so imagine what kind of information they could have. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. So why is this scary? It's because they had access for, access for 10 years and the fact that it, it was a, on a global scale. Yeah. The fact is, you know, it's on a global scale. They have, they have such a long access. And it's more about the fact that they have the capability to develop something like this. Mm-hmm. Because in terms of the attackers, because everything's changing so fast, it's always changing. So, you know, um, even like obtaining something like the blue internal blue sky or, or double pulsar doesn't mean a thing. 
unless you have a group of people that could continuously actually innovate, develop, and produce such a program, such a malware, and to have that capacity is scary. I see. How about here in Taiwan? Is there anything going on in uh, the cybersecurity arena here? Well, you know, one of the jokes that uh, we like to talk about is that um, it's easier to count the companies that hasn't been compromised. You could probably count all of them in one hand. And, you know, um, a friend of mine likes to make the joke that, oh, my God, he's going to give me so much trouble. But the joke goes like this. It was like there's only two kinds of company in the world, ones that's already been compromised and the other one that does not know that it has been compromised. Mm, So basically everybody's been compromised. Yes. Because there's an extreme um, asymmetry when it comes to um, attackers and defenders. Mm -hmm. Um, It is next to impossible for the defenders to defend against um, an attack because the attacker has to change very little. And then the the defender has to uh, start the research all over again. Right. So would you say an offense is the best defense in this approach? Um, So would companies or or even countries uh, go on the offensive Is that a prevalent uh, strategy? I would say, like, you know, deal with this like an insurance, like a security risk, how you manage risks. So, for example, the uh, Ministry of Defense is a security operations center. Uh, They use something called the octave model. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically it's a theory derived from uh, risk management. So, you know, it's it's never possible to block all the leaks. So you got to compartmentalize and you got to, you know, put it into different grades. Mm -hmm. And of course, the other point you brought up is about um, deterrence. Basically, you know, you go on offensive and you try to scare people into not doing anything to you. Mm -hmm. But, uh, well, deterrence works on many levels. Um, If you're talking about on a country to country or on an espionage level, um, it doesn't really work because the problem is attribution's hard. Like, even on the highest level, they cannot really be sure who's attacking who, or is it a government agency? Is it, like, an intermediary? Mm. So, yeah, on a very rare cases, you could actually see who's doing what. For example, you know, uh, the recent case would be the um, disclosure that the uh, Dutch intelligence agency was able to uh, verify through camera cams and everything that APD-29, Cozy Bear, mm-hmm. um, associated with Russian intelligence, was actually behind um, the U.S. election um, attacks right. and also attacks against uh, the House and the Senate. Yeah. And the German parliament, right, just recently. They, they were behind the German parliament attack, right? Mm, that was never actually like you know um, confirmed the, because I the thing see. is like usually we would say like yes I'm ninety percent sure I'm a hundred percent sure, but unless you were able to combine this with other intelligence sources, you can never be really sure. I now see. in in the Dutch um, intelligence agency's case, they were able to do that because they literally hacked into the building before uh, the Russians started hacking. So they okay. have camera footage to go with what they're doing. So they're 100% sure about, yeah, that's the Russians. Okay. So how did you get in the field of cybersecurity? Well, you know, um, I guess it's just um, my um, interest had always been in traditional security. Mm-hmm. But um, once you get to a point, you realize, wait, this is the latest leak. This is how information got out. And, you know, um, and... A lot of my friends doing this, and I start realizing there's actually a hidden war being fought, like you know, every day without us know even knowing about it. And mm. so that gets me interested. And I started researching that. And I started writing articles. I started, you know, um, 
studying the policy aspect of it. And there's very little people doing that, especially in Taiwan. So, mm. yeah, that's how I got into it. Yeah. Do you think there needs to be more uh, more attention paid to this? Oh, definitely. But the thing is, like, I think it's also fair for people who's actually working within the industry or the government to actually advise people why we need to keep an eye on this, why this is scary, why does this concern them. Right. Do you think it'd be too scary? Like, if the regular person just knew just the scale of the cybersecurity attacks and just how frequent they were, is it, do you think it'd be kind of like a super demoralizing and kind of a damper? Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, it's easy to get demoralized because you realize how hard the job is. But then again, um, you can look at, you know, what the attackers are doing and realize, wait, they're actually amateurs too. Because, um, let's, you know, aside from a few examples of dedicated state actors and hell, even like, you know, our, our, our primary antagonist, China, uh, they're not really that good. They're just being very active. So Interesting. So yeah. who's good? Uh I guess, like, which country around the world or which, like, agency or something are, is, is really leading the push in cybersecurity or just that arena? Are we talking about offense or defense? Uh, could you tell me both, <laughs> I guess? <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, in terms of, like, defensive measures, I guess everybody's as tough as can be. Because, mm. first of all, this is a new vulnerability that just opened up. The um, market is maturing. That means, you know... um there's enough companies around, there's enough organizations around, but uh, we have a joke about the indicator of compromise. Basically, what an indicator of compromise is, is like, you know, how, for example, your virus scanners, like, detect a suspicious file. Um, but the problem is, like, there's, everybody wants to provide the latest IOCs, but there's no universal standard to vet, like, what is good and what is bad. So basically, an IOC is, like, looking for a needle in a haystack. And because I can't be sure where the needle is, so everybody's like, yeah, get me more hay. And that's the problem. Mm, I see. <laughs> so we're actually moving much more toward, like, you know, quality now. So in terms of defense, the best ones are probably in Eastern Europe, just because um, of the fact that they are under constant attack from the Russians. And they have, like, serious implications. Hmm. They've so they, actually, like, put yeah. the reps in, so they just gotten better through practice. The one thing they're good at is actually a non-technical part. For example, technical part everybody could do. But um, the next step is, okay, how, mu how much time, like, the government agencies have to make a decision once important critical structures penetrated? If, if you know, like, you know, your election's being tampered with, um, like, a month after the election, would your government be able to respond to that? And, you know, what kind of, what kind of response would that be? And you've got to talk to the policy coordinators. And nobody's been doing this as far as I know except the Eastern Europeans because they're actually facing this. Mm. And, for example, in Ukraine, their power plants, their dams got turned off. At one point last year, 20% of the power in Ukraine was turned off by Russian actors. So for them, it's a clear and present danger. So mm. they're good at it. Now, in terms of offense, I would say, like, the best we have is probably the CIA, the NSA or the CIA. Even from WikiLeaks files, you can see like um, their evaluation of the Chinese software, <laughs> the most advanced Chinese software. Their their comments was essentially translated as, uh, "This is nothing special. Let's move on. We've this is not even worth doing a, a POC, a proof of concept, because it's just too ordinary." Wow, it's too rudimentary. Like they're too rudimentary they're, for them. They're so they're much more advanced than that. Yeah. 
but the Russians are actually um, the Russians are very active and they're catching up. Um, they've even tried different tactics in Ukraine. However, you know, in terms of like uh, in terms of potential, there'll be China. Um, but in terms of like you know current activity, um, North Korea is being extremely you know active. And they're the one who started, like, you know, mixing、um, espionage and cybercrime because they're in extreme need for money. Right. All right. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to cover that you want to talk about? Well, yeah. So basically, you know, what I wanted, I wanted to like remind everybody, it's more about a change in culture because security is a mindset, just like you know, cybersecurity is no different, and.、Um, So basically, for example,、um, Taiwanese companies until about two three years ago, they still think dealing with a problem means basically getting rid of the people who brought them the problem. So, for example, if you are a hacker or you are a white hat, white hat is what we call it. You know, hackers who turn good and working for the company.、Uh, if you are a white hat and you brought a company a proof of concept that hey, you have a vulnerability in your system, you might want to you know、uh, fix that and also maybe reward me for bringing this to you.、Mm-hmm. They would sue you because the thing is, in order to know they have, in order to prove they have a vulnerability, you gotta actually penetrate their system first and do a test. It might be harmless. You might just go into the computer and open their calculator. But the fact is that. But the you... fact is, you are in there,、mm. so they sue you. And well, yeah, and this has happened here. This has happened multiple times. Wow, that that just you know goes to show like the level of yeah culture.、Okay. So yeah, the way they handle this exactly. But so you know, I would say like basically people have to understand what the problem is, and you know, design a system or policy in such a way that the incentives are correct. That the the people who's getting screwed are the one who actually like who get to say you know whether I need cybersecurity or not. All right, man. So、uh, thanks, Kitch, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and、um, thanks for your time. Oh yeah, no problem. It's、uh, been a pleasure. Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to this week's Taiwan Talk. I want to give a special shout out to Kitch Liao for coming into the studios and talking to me about cybersecurity, and I hope it was informative for you. Talk to you guys next week. I'm Alex Lewis.